Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Natalia Reagan. Today, you'll learn about how a planet-friendly diet also tends to be healthier and why we don't have battery-powered airplanes. But first, social psychologist and author Devin Price is back to explain how we can all avoid burnout. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Yesterday, Dr. Devin Price explained how laziness can benefit us and why we need to be kinder to ourselves. Today, they're going to give us some solid tips on how to do that, especially in the workplace. Dr. Devin Price is a social psychologist and professor at Loyola University in Chicago. They're also the author of the upcoming book, Laziness Does Not Exist, which makes the case for why what we think of as laziness really comes from the pressure to do too much. In our conversation, Natalia asked them whether there are any good tips for avoiding burnout. Here's Devin. Ideally, you want to not get even close to that burnout point. Obviously, like prevention is key. And I think the thing that really sets people up for burnout and for being really disappointed in themselves is biting off way more than they can actually chew. We have so many standards in place and kind of a sense of should that we should work eight hours a day and you know do an hour of exercise every day and cook meals and volunteer, all of these things. And there's just no scientific research to back up that that's sustainable for most people. It just, most people don't actually work a full eight hours a day. You have to slack off at work. Uh, even if you're trapped in an office for eight hours, your brain just can't handle it. So the first thing to really do to prevent burnout is to study yourself, observe your actual habits, and assume that those habits actually reflect not a failing on your part and not something that you need to beat yourself up for, but that is data. That is information about what you're actually capable of. So if I really only get a majority of my work done from you know 10 to 1 every day, which is true for me, then that means those are my core hours, the things that are most important for me to get done. I need to budget that and schedule that into that time point, into that time chunk, that 10 to 1 period. And anything beyond that, I need to really reframe as gravy. So one strategy that I always recommend for people is putting ghost meetings on your calendar. So if you work a job where an Outlook calendar is key, block out time, block out meetings with yourself so you look like you're busy so that other people can't snatch all your time up. And during those meetings that you've scheduled with yourself, and you can have them kind of private and blocked out so nobody knows that it's just a personal meeting. Do the things that are most important to you to ensure that you keep your job, that you work on the project that you're most passionate about, that you're helping your kids with their homework, whatever the thing is that's really essential to your day. So those are some of the things that I most commonly recommend to people, because I think really the first and most common source of burnout is the sense of I should be doing so much and I suck that I'm not getting all these things done instead of just really keeping track of what you are getting done and using that as actual data about what you're capable of and what's healthy for you. Again, that was Dr. Devin Price, a social psychologist and professor at Loyola University of Chicago's School of Continuing and Professional Studies and the author of the upcoming book, Laziness Does Not Exist. It's set to be released on January 5th, 2021, and you can find a link to pre-order the book in the show notes. If you choose the food you buy based on sustainability and environmental impact, first of all, nice work. Second, I've got good news for you. It turns out that a diet that's good for the planet is also good for you. Just take it from a 2019 study out of Tulane University. For the study, researchers used data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey, which asked thousands of Americans what they had eaten over a 24-hour period. 
Then, the researchers rated the foods in two ways. First, by the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that result from their production, and second, by their nutritional value according to the U.S. Healthy Eating Index. So, what did they find? Well, the diets with the highest climate impact had greater quantities of meat, dairy, and solid fats for every 1,000 calories than the low-impact diets did. Overall, high-impact diets were more concentrated in total proteins and animal proteins. Diets in this group accounted for five times the emissions of those in the lowest-impact group. Yikes. Meanwhile, people whose diets had a lower carbon footprint were eating less red meat and dairy. Those foods both contribute to larger greenhouse gas emissions and are high in saturated fat. Instead, these people were eating healthier stuff like poultry, whole grains, and plant-based proteins. But while the lowest-impact diets were healthier overall, they weren't healthier on all measures. There are plenty of foods that have a small carbon footprint but an unhealthy place in our diets. Think added sugar and refined grains. People in this group ate more of those ingredients. They also had lower amounts of important nutrients like iron, calcium, and vitamin D, probably because they ate less meat and dairy. The researchers said this shows that we can have it both ways. We can have diets that are good for both our health and the planet's health. And it doesn't necessarily mean cutting out whole food groups. It can be as simple as reducing the amount of red meat we eat and swapping it with low-impact protein like chicken, eggs, and beans. After all, a healthy population requires a healthy planet. Speaking of having a healthy planet, commercial air travel pollutes, right? And I mean, air travel is on hold for a lot of us right now, but it's going to come back eventually. And that may be a problem due to the aforementioned massive carbon footprint, which is getting even bigger. The environmental impact of flying has doubled in the last 20 years, according to a recent study. And that leads to the obvious question. We have electric cars, so why aren't we using electric airplanes? Well, ultimately, that comes down to two related problems, mass and energy density. So imagine we're on a flight from Los Angeles to London. To make this trip, a Boeing 777, fully loaded with people, bags, and emotional support iguanas, can weigh as much as 545,000 pounds, or 247,000 kilograms. Talk about heavier-than-air flight. And nearly half of that weight as much as 212,000 pounds, or 96,000 kilograms, is jet fuel. One big problem with current battery technology is energy density. That's the amount of energy per pound of mass. I'll spare you the physics and say that jet fuel has roughly 14 times the energy density of our current batteries. So a 212,000 pound battery won't get that plane any farther than Salt Lake City, let alone London. Once it gets to Salt Lake, though, we run into an additional problem. We can't land it. This is because as a plane flies, it loses fuel mass. Large international airliners are designed with this in mind. For long flights, they take to the sky at a weight too heavy for them to land. For our 777 to land safely, it needs to lose at least 100,000 pounds. Talk about a weight loss plan. And this is why airliners making emergency landings sometimes have to dump fuel before making their landing attempt. But dead batteries are still just as heavy as charged ones. And this doesn't mean electric air travel will never happen. While batteries create significant engineering problems for intercontinental airliners, 
smaller electric planes might be possible for shorter trips. An estimated one-third of carbon emissions come from short, regional flights. And because of this, at least one European company is working on a fully electric, 186-seat plane that could make hops like London to Amsterdam, which is a very short but busy airline route. With enough will and some smart engineering, this idea will get off the ground someday. All right, well, let's recap the main things we learned today. We learned that the best way to avoid burnout, well, is prevention. And one way you can do that is just to better understand when you're most productive during the day. Is it between 6 and 8 p.m.? For me, it's usually, well, after midnight. So maybe that's the time you do all your real high-priority work. You can also schedule these really cool things called ghost meetings, which are meetings with yourself that are blocks of time that you get to get work done and, you know, kind of avoid everybody else. That's something that I really resonated with. I, I think I need to have a few ghost meetings. And maybe actually invite some ghosts. Who knows? Keep it interesting. Yeah, I know I'm the odd person out between the three of us that I work the best in the early morning. I can get up at 6 a.m. and do so much work like before 9 a.m. And then for the rest of the day, I'm so distracted and I'll look at Twitter and it, like I don't get that much done. But my goodness, those first few hours of the day are so productive for me. I'm impressed. <laughs> I have an accidental life hack regarding Twitter. Some extension on my Chrome browser is preventing any images or thumbnail previews to load on Twitter. And it's been like this for months. And I don't know which extension it is. And I don't really care. Like if I open Twitter on my computer, there is nothing to look at. It's really dumb. Because like a lot of people just tweet a short comment with a link. And like I can't even see the link. So who cares? So I kind of inadvertently just, you know... Then again, I have a work phone that I can just pull up Twitter on right in front of me. But still, it's it's a different device. It's a different screen I got to look at, you know. <laughs> there you go. Unintentionally break your software. There's my life hack. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a start for sure. We also learned that diets that are planet friendly are usually healthier for you than those that are considered high impact and include a lot of meat and dairy. But the lower impact diets sometimes lack important nutrients. So it's important you get your vitamins somehow. This is hard for me because as an athlete, I really try to get my protein in every day. I sound like a bro right now, but meat and dairy is the best way to do that. And so, yeah, what I try to do is lots of eggs and lots of poultry. But, you know, yeah, whey protein, all that. That's all dairy. That's all dairy. But, uh, you know, I'll do what I can. Yeah, I actually haven't, and a lot of people don't know this, I haven't eaten meat or actually warm-blooded animals since 1995 because <laughs> I sometimes will eat fish. I call myself a vegetarian. But it's something that when I became a vegetarian in 1995, I, it was really hard because I all I liked to eat vegetable-wise was potatoes and McDonald's french fries, which I'm pretty sure are cooked in lard. So there you have it. But I did teach myself actually to have a new diet. And it's interesting, like over time, I've taught myself to have a palate that is, quote unquote, planet friendly, but it took a long time, you know, and I was vegan for a long time. And even then I was I was a little bit of a, a heftier vegan because I think I was eating the refined sugars and the grains and kind of a carb loading rather than eating more leaner proteins and things like that, which is kind of hard to do. If you're vegan, you have to do it right. You know, um, if you're vegan, don't come at me. I know that there's a right way to do it. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible, impossible. But uh, well, for instance, the impossible burger or the beyond burgers, by the way, actually, Ashley, I don't know if you've ever tried it or or Cody, 
they have really great breakfast sausages and things of that sort. They don't have soy. So if you have um, aversions to soy and they're really great, they're delicious and they're very high in protein and they're getting cheaper too, which is great. So just FYI. They are also they are also high in saturated fat, though, is the problem. But, you know, it's 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 better for the planet, at least. That's good. And we also learned that while battery operated cars are a thing, battery operated airplanes aren't. And that's because the battery you'd need to fly a plane would just weigh too much. It would be impossible to both fly and land. And, you know, last I checked, those two things are pretty important for flight. Eh, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mm. <laughs> By this time, we all thought that we'd have flying cars. And now I'm living in the future and I'm realizing that flying cars would be a collision hazard. How would we know where to go? How would we avoid running into each other? Maybe this is a naive thing and people have thought about that. But, you know, I think it's a problem. <laughs> I just want to bring back the unicycle. It's just all right a unicycle. Uh, no, I'm still waiting for that hoverboard, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Today's stories were written by Sonia Hodgen and Cameron Duke and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Natalia Reagan and Sonia Hodgen. Today's episode was edited by Jonathan McMichael, and our producer is Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>